0: Yeah, um, so I'm excited to to kick this off um, this morning, um, tell you a little bit about what we're doing here in, in, in just a minute. I wanted to read uh, first from one of my favorite books, um, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Some of you guys may maybe have read this before. Um, this is one of those books in my life I think I can probably think of two or three off the top of my head that you, I read through it and it just it wrecked me for quite a while after that, um, primarily because of how small and how little I was thinking about who, who God was. So it's a small book, which are my favorite kind of books out there, small chapters, which are even better. Um, you yeah, have pictures everywhere, not actually <laughs> pictures, but. Um, so I'm going to read just a, a few different um, statements out of this book. This is the very first chapter of the book, chapter one and uh, Tozer opens by saying this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base, as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts about who God is. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. That our idea of God correspond as nearly as possible to the true being of God is of immense importance to us. Compared with our actual thoughts about him, our creedal statements are of little consequence. I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally to imperfect and ignoble thoughts about who God is. All of the problems of heaven and earth, though they were to confront us together and at once, would be nothing compared with the overwhelming problem of God, that he is, what he is like, and what we as moral beings must do about him. The man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems, for he sees at once that these have to do with matters which at most cannot concern him for very long. But even if the multiple burdens of time may be lifted from him, the one mighty single burden of eternity begins to press down upon him with a weight more crushing than all the woes of the world piled one upon another that mighty burden is his obligation to God. It includes an instant and lifelong duty to love God with every power of mind and soul, to obey him perfectly and to worship him acceptably. And when the man's laboring conscience tells him that he has done none of these things, but has from childhood been guilty of foul revolt against the majesty in the heavens, the inner pressure of self-accusation may become too heavy to bear. The gospel can lift this destroying burden from the mind, give beauty for ashes, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But unless the weight of the burden is felt, the gospel can mean nothing to the man. And until he sees a vision of God high and lifted up, there will be no woe and no burden. Low views of God destroy the gospel for all who hold them. So no, that was a lot there. Uh, again, that's all packed into the um, the first chapter, and uh, again, just really kind of wrecked wrecked my life for a while um, with how how low I was thinking about um, about who God is and who um, how He relates to to us. So, um, last weekend, a couple weekends ago. Um, I was sitting across the table at McDonald's for breakfast with a couple of guys and we were talking about God and Jesus and um, these guys uh, would say that the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is authoritative and it has truth in it and we go to the Bible to test truth. Um, These guys would say that Jesus died on the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. He rose from the dead and our belief in him is essential. These guys would say that it is critical that God's people share the gospel, that we be active out in the community, sharing the gospel with others. The conversation goes on, and these guys would say that there is more than one God, that God was once a man on another planet, and that he had a God before him, and that by keeping the commandments of his God, Jehovah God was able to attain to who he is now. He had another planet, he had a god, and that his god actually used to be a man on another planet, and he would keep the commandments of his god and attain to his godhood. And prior to that, you guessed it, he had a god. And this idea, they say, goes back for as long as existence has been. There's been this chain of gods that started out as people just as we are, And they kept the commandments of their God and were able to attain to Godhood themselves. They would further say that just as God was once a man and he became who he is now, Jehovah, that we have that same potential. Every one of us in here, by keeping the commandments of God, we ourselves will become gods one day and we will have our own planets. Uh, They further would say that Jehovah took a wife, a spiritual wife, when he was a man on another planet, and it was through that spiritual wife that they had all of us, that we all existed eternally with God before being put on planet Earth. Jesus was the firstborn, Lucifer was the secondborn, and then the rest of us came, and that when he made us physically into people on planet Earth, we all forgot about that eternal history. So... If you don't know who that is, that's the Church of Latter-day Saints, um, or formerly known as Mormonism. Um, And so I've had a lot of conversations with different um, individuals, Latter-day Saints and Jehovah's Witness and World Mission Society Church of God, and there's a handful of others out there. And what's so interesting is... um, So I think all of what the the false doctrine, the false teaching, the lies that they've come to believe, you can trace back to ignoble thoughts about who God is or who Jesus is. They lessen and they, they, they nullify and they detract from some of the attributes of God. All of them do this. To talk about how glorious and wonderful Jehovah is and how awesome and how powerful and how mighty, and then say, well, yeah, he was a man at one point, and that he grew and became a god, and that he's actually continuing to change and grow. He's still working on becoming perfect. That is a, very, a highly ignoble thought about who, who God is, and that leads into... Um, a number of, of um, false ways of thinking and living. So I've had a burden on my heart for a while now to um, to do a series, to do a, spend some time talking through really the attributes of God. Who is God, and uh, what is God like? Uh, clearly, what we perceive God to be like is is important. It's of essential it, value. Um, so starting today, this is kind of an intro, and then uh, in the upcoming weeks, I'm not sure how many weeks we'll be doing this, but uh, each week we'll be spending some time talking through um, the attributes of God. And so the attributes of God, uh, what we're talking about there are the, the characteristics. What is, what is God like? And um, what, what do you get when you get our God? When, when our God shows up, what does he bring? Who is he? What are his characteristics? And so one of the ways I think about this is, I'm Shem, right? When I come into a room, there's something that I bring to that room because of my personality, because of my characteristics, because of my attributes, uh, and, and I bring all that to a room. When Jonathan shows up to a room, it's different. It's not Shem, and Shem isn't Jonathan. We're different people. And God is a specific way, right? It's, it's easy for us with God to sometimes turn him into a God of whatever we want in that moment or whatever feels best in that moment instead of staying true to who God actually is. Um, I think about my wife, and again, my wife has specific characteristics and qualities. And there are some times where maybe it would be more convenient for me if she had different characteristics or qualities, or maybe I think it'd be more convenient, but she doesn't just change based on my feelings in that moment, right? And so that's who God is as well. God doesn't change based on our feelings based on who we and how we conceive him to be he is a particular way and so when we're talking about the attributes of god that's what we're talking about is discovering who is he and what is he like um so the i think the biggest question that has faced mankind for all of human history is number one is there a god And most of the world, I think through most of human history, has just said, assumed the answer is yes. They don't even actually need to start there. The answer for most people is, what is God like? In our Western culture today, I think we have to start with the question, is there even a God? And how do we know? How do do we determine that? How do we decide? What leads us to believe that? What leads us to that conclusion? And when we say yes to that question, then the question that would immediately follow would be, well, what is God like? Um, When we're talking about, again, the attributes of God, we're not as interested in how do we relate to him, but as in, how does he relate to us? And so uh, we, we spend a lot of time talking about a lot of things for how do we follow him and stay in sync with him and walk with him and pray and seek him, and that's all about how we relate to him, which is essential, but that all starts with how does he relate to us? who is God and what is God like? So that really is my desire, is to to spend some time over the next few weeks kind of going through doctrinally who who is God and what uh, what is he like. Um, Just a couple of other things I wanted to say this morning. Um, One of the biggest challenges with this is that God is incomprehensible, right? He is above and beyond our imagination and our understanding. We can never fully know him. So God is transcendent, meaning he's completely set apart from creation. He is other than. And when we start to think, ask the question, what is God like? God is not like anything, so to speak. He, he really isn't. He's the only one who is different then everything else, that's what it means to be transcendent. God is holy, 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 completely set apart, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, who says, I dwell in the high and holy place. God is without sin, completely perfect. He has all power, all authority, all knowledge, and all wisdom. He alone is most high above all the earth, exalted above all gods. Who is like him, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. His ways are impossible to fully search out or understand. He is invisible. He dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen him nor can see him. He is incomprehensible. It is impossible to fully know him. And so our question then becomes, is it even worth trying to study out? <laughs> is it even worth, if he's all those things, as Paul says in Thessalonians, God dwells in unapproachable light. He's invisible. He's incomprehensible, as our creeds state. Can we know him? So that's a big question, which uh, last thing I want to say today is we answer that with this And Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to Philip, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light Of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And whoever sees him sees the one who sent him. And so that is the great news for us in all of this is that we relate to and know how he relates to us through the person, Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh. God has revealed himself in many ways throughout human history, throughout, through nature, through the Bible, through the Word of God, through scriptures, primarily through a person, Jesus Christ. And so when I'm asking myself, how does God relate to me? I can't even imagine like he's this above, creates and holds the whole universe together. How does he relate to me? I can think of Jesus. And how did Jesus relate to people? And that is how God, sovereign, holy, 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 transcendent, above all, relates to us. We see him and we know him and we know how he relates to us because we've seen Jesus Christ. So again, starting next week, I want to dive a little bit further into... um, the attributes, and we will talk through not just the attributes, but one of the struggles is how do they relate to each other? How do, we, how do we correlate the love of God and the wrath of God and the justice of God? How do we, and so to spend a little bit of time talking through those as a review, we know, I think most of us know these things and we've grown up with these things, but to refresh and to stir up our, um, our minds by way of reminder, again, of, of who he is. There you go.